0: Thank you, Laura and Travis, for ministering in music. I'm thankful that in Christ we're secure, we belong to Him. This morning, beginning a study on the book of Jude, I'll take the first part, Zach will take the second, and so on, until we get through the book of Jude, an interesting book, challenging book, one that I think will be a tremendous encouragement to us as Again, we interact with God's Word. As we think about God's Word and we think about doctrine and beliefs, they impact life. I'd like to share an example or an account of an individual by the name of Charlie. He'd been in the drug scene from the time he was 17 until the present, and he's 30 years old. Jobs came and went like day and night. Relationships were never stable due to his always seeking for self. What more money Charlie did obtain was always spent on self. Hard rock music filled his room. Friends and family tried for years to reach him with the gospel of Christ, but he always said, no, leave me alone. Suddenly, a dramatic change took place in his life. He let go of drugs and alcohol. He began to hold a steady job. In his relationships, he began to be more caring for others. He regularly attended Bible studies and was often heard talking about God. Forty percent of what he earned, he gave to Bible teachers. His hard rock was replaced by gospel music. He began to live with his female friend and regularly viewed pornography. Several months later, you ask Charlie what has happened in his life. He tells you that the Bible teachers cast out demons, which caused him to drink alcohol and use drugs and to be lazy. As a result, he has come to love God and his word. He shares that he has been learning that God is a forgiving God, so that allows him the freedom to live with his girlfriend and enjoy pornography. After all, God created females, he says. Due to the help provided by these teachers, he gives 40%, as I said, to them. Then he asks you, does this sound correct to you? Are these Bible teachers on target? Where would you turn in Scripture to respond to him? A constant down through the pages of history since Adam and Eve have been the issue of beliefs, doctrine, what is correct, what is incorrect, and the impact that it has upon us. And as we begin a study of the book of Jude, a small ancient book that is very relative for the 21st century in which we live. (laughs) God's word is timeless. Circumstances may change, but yet God in his word is timeless as Christ is timeless. So, why should we even consider a book like Jude, which deals with incorrect teaching? A couple questions in relation to that. Is truth relative or revealed and unchanging? Is truth relative? That is, it changes according to the circumstance. Or is it revealed and unchanging? Does the average Christian want to be fulfilled, happy and stress-free, or holy and godly? Just posing a question for you to think about. Does our society today emphasize the sensual rather than thinking? I realize you can't see the fourth one. That's okay. Does the average Christian believe in the sufficiency of God's word. And a fifth one, is contemporary better than old? Is contemporary better than old? Jude is addressing teaching at that point in time. And teaching is present, incorrect teaching is present in our world today. Look at verse 4 of Jude. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, apparently in among believers in the church. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ the only sovereign and Lord. Look at verse 8. In the very same way, these dreamers, the people we mentioned in verse 4, pollute their own bodies, Reject authority and slander celestial beings. Look at verse 10. Yet these men, men many mentioned in verse 4, speak abusively against what they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like threatening or unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Then in verse 11, woe to them, the same people that he has been addressing. To this point in the book. Verse 12 These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. Verse 13 They are clouds without rain. I'm sorry, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming their shame. Again, they referring back to the people mentioned in verse 4. In verse 16, these men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their evil desires. Verse 18. They say to you, the last time there will be scoffers who will follow their own own godly desires. Again, referring back to the individuals he mentioned in verse 4. We need to be concerned about doctrine beliefs in the day and age in which we live, just as they had to in Jude's day because we face within the body of Christ incorrect teaching we face within the world in which we live incorrect teaching one of the more recent things that has come down the road is just the whole issue of, whole issue of marriage sexuality and what is it and our courts defining that and that coming into the church and some churches teaching one way and other churches teaching another way in the past, we've been through the issue of abortion. We're still in the of that presence of that, and churches teaching various views. Doctrine deeply influences life. We have another teaching that is very present today. You know, if you obey God, God will bless you materially. And that is very, very prevalent and has been for quite a few years. The style and tone of Jude kind of resembles that of James. One author says, and I quote, Jude's style was broken and rugged, bold and picturesque, energetic, glowing with the fire of passion, end of quote. His language is very terse and very direct. And there's a very, what I would call, severe tone in Jude that comes through quite loud. And clear. And as we think about Jude, Jude comes across with a negative but a positive. Look at verse 4 of Jude. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny our only Lord and Savior or our only sovereign and Lord. He's emphasizing incorrect teachers who come in. But yet in verse three he says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write to you to contend for the faith, once for all delivered or entrusted to the saints. No, I- Positive, but also a negative point of view. And as we think about the book, he begins in verses one and two by talking about who he is and who he is writing to. And I would like to emphasize, as I will a little later, in verse one to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. In the midst of apostasy, there's security. And then he goes on in verses 3 and 4 to the purpose. I wanted to write about our common salvation, but because of incorrect teaching, I made a shift. In verses 5 through 7, he talks about the historical fate of apostates. He gives some examples from the past. In verses five through or 8 through 16, we find the description of modern apostates, the people that Jude was speaking about and I think would also include people today. He gives an exhortation amid apostasy in verses 17 through 23. And then in verses 24 and 25, he gives the doxology, now unto God who is able to keep you from falling and so on. And I want you to grasp that at the beginning of the book he says you're called by God, you're beloved by God, you're kept by Jesus Christ. Then he talks about apostasy, and you come to the end of the book, and he emphasizes again, now to God who is able to keep you, please understand that in the midst of false teaching, which has been present down through the pages of history, God keeps his church. He states at the beginning, he states that at the end. In between, he talks about incorrect teaching and those who (coughs) are teaching incorrectly. Please understand that doctrine is vital. It's very, very important. Why? Because lifestyle springs from doctrine or beliefs. If you observe a person's lifestyle, to some extent, you can tell them what they believe without your even asking. Because our beliefs (laughs) determines that lifestyle, and that comes through quite clearly in the false teachers. And that's why Jude is so passionate. Doctrine is very important. So Jude is the author of the book. He was an apostle, or he was not an apostle. He says he's a bond slave of Jesus Christ. We'll comment on that a little later. He's a brother of James, but also a brother of, or half a half brother of Jesus. But he doesn't state that in this context. Apparently sensitive to the Holy Spirit because he says, "I really wanted to write to you about the coming salvation, but I'm going to write to you about godless men." He was well versed in the Old Testament apparently because he uses Sodom, Gomorrah. Cain, Balaam, Korah, Enoch. So familiar with the Old Testament? Giving examples as he writes. He had to be a courageous man in light of some very strong statements that he makes. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just says it as it is. Little is known of the date of when Jude was written. But it seems to have come later than First and 2 Peter, where Peter addresses incorrect teaching. Peter's epistles were probably written between 65 and, or 63 and 65 AD, Jude maybe being 73 to 75, and again, not being dogmatic in that. Also, there's no clear evidence as far as the exact location of Jude when he wrote or to whom he is writing. that's well, it's not spelled out specifically. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He states, you know, I'm writing to you in Ephesus. The church in Colossae, I'm writing to you in Colossae, and so on. But that's not clearly stated here. Now, I want you to notice in verse 1, Jude, and he says is a servant of Jesus Christ. Greek word doulos is referring to a bond slave it denotes that one is bound to another person and that being bound to another person involves a choice, a willful choice on the part of a person to be bound to another. And Jude says, I'm a servant, if you please, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. See, a bondservant would say, Lord, I'm surrendering myself to you. Now, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? Their life is centered in their master. And what would happen in the Old Testament when someone chose to become a bond slave? They would go to the door, and the master would put a hole in the lobe of the ear, signifying that they were choosing to be a slave for the rest of their life. The account is shared of a father and a son in India who sold their ox to give money to the work of the Lord, and the boy became the ox, and the father walked behind the machine. Bond slave, a willingness to sell out. Another illustration or example is of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac. God said to, I, or to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son of promise, and offer him. Scripture does not indicate that there, there was any arguing, but rather Abraham went and offered Isaac. Then we know that a ram was provided. The account is shared of Abraham Lincoln, Buying a slave girl. And the slave girl came to him and Abraham Lincoln said, I bought you for one reason, to set you free. And she turned around to Abraham Lincoln and said, I'll serve you the rest of my life. That's the idea of being a bond slave. Jude says, a servant of Jesus Christ, a half-brother of James. James being a well-known figure in the church in Jerusalem. He goes on, to those who have been called. Now I want you to grasp some things about the terminology, to those who have been called, those who are loved, and those who are kept. The Greek terminology is that something took place at a point in time with results that continue long term. So he says, to you who have been called, they were summoned to God. They were summoned to Christ. It was an effective call. They have been extended salvation, if you please. And that remains true in their life. The called ones are called from death to life. From self to Christ. From misery and wretchedness to happiness and glory. Spiritually, believers in Christ, Have been called. He says, I'm writing to those who have been called, those who are loved by God. Some of you may have a translation that says sanctified, but the idea of the word is to love, to value, to manifest, or to have strong feeling towards. So the people were called, but they're also loved. It's not the same Greek word used elsewhere for sanctified, but it's the idea of beloved. Writing to those that are called, and he says, You're loved by God the Father. You ever think about being loved by God? By God the Father. And the tense shows that in the past they were loved and that remains true and goes on and on. The passive voice implies that the ancient uh, or agent of love is God himself. The creator of the universe choosing to love the people to whom Jude is writing. If you want to make an application today, choosing to love us. Notice loved by God the Father. I want you to think about fathers you know. I want you to think about your own father. Some of us can reflect in our own father. Some of us can reflect in other fathers and say boy that was really good. And others may say it wasn't very good. Please don't interpret God as a father according to your father or fathers you may have known or know. Let Scripture speak of what God is like and if you had an earthly father that was God like, praise the Lord. But don't interpret God as a father in light of what you may have experienced or know. Here's Jude saying, loved by God the Father. A choice in history, with humans being passive, to be loved by God, and that continues on. Those that are caught, he says, loved by God. The Father. It was manifested in the past with continuing results. So in the midst of false doctrine, in the midst of being lured away from Christ, Jude says, you're loved by God. You ever stop to consider that one of the greatest incentives of staying on track in the midst of incorrect teaching is to know you're loved by God. I had a father that loved me. Didn't always display it in a lot of ways. But his love for me time and time again kept me out of evil when I was tempted. Because a thought would go through my mind, what will dad think? Dad loves me, and he told me this was not a good thing. He has my well-being at heart. I think that's tied in with the overall message of Jude. He goes on and he says those who are kept by Jesus Christ. I love the terminology here. The idea of kept means to watch, to stand guard over. Who are kept, who are guarded by Jesus Christ. Again, the tense speaks of the fact that something took place at a point in time. They were called, they're loved, now they're kept. That began at a point in time Would it began at salvation with the fact that you continue to be kept. So he's writing to those facing false teaching and he says you're kept by Christ. It's not dependent on you, it's dependent on Christ. Again, the passive voice indicates it's not up to the believer. It's up to Christ and what he does. You ever hear the phrase, an old mother hen? I grew up in a farm. We had chickens. And uh, we would gather eggs, and often you would find five or six eggs in a nest. And sometimes you would get an old mother hen sitting on those eggs, and you would reach in, and they would try to peck you. They were keeping what they thought were their egg, her eggs. Now the evil side of me comes out. They peck you too much. You grab them around the neck and yank them out and give them a throw. Why? Because they were keeping. It's like our kids, particularly one of them, I think it was Jason, had his blanket. And he protected that. In fact, we came home from my parents one time and we called dad and mom and said, Jason forgot his blanket. You must ship that up as soon as possible because he didn't want to sleep. You know, he was protecting that. He was keeping that. Jude says, those who are kept by Jesus Christ. In the midst of apostasy, in the midst of incorrect teaching, kept by Christ. then he says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. The idea of mercy is kindness, which results from compassion. And as you look at the epistles in the New Testament, it seems like when there was false teaching or people were going through difficulty, mercy is used. When there's not necessarily a lot of difficulty, then grace would be used. Here he says, mercy, peace and love be yours. He doesn't use the term grace. They need kindness. They needed benefit extended to them in their distressing circumstances. Mercy. And then he says peace. Quietness of spirit. Calmness of soul. Tranquility. I realize Jude is writing to believers. I was maybe somewhat shocked. Maybe I shouldn't have been. How much in the last couple weeks has been said about our country in light of the Supreme Court decision on marriage. I sense a real fear among even believers. What's going to happen to our country? It's really going down the tubes. Jude recognized that as there were false teachers among the people to whom he is writing that there would be a degree of fear and concern. And he says, peace. Peace. And then he says, love. May that be yours in abundance. You're called... You're beloved. You're kept. What does this look like in our lives? Just pose a question. Are you a bond slave of Jesus Christ? Jude, a bond slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. Seems to make a big difference in terms of false teaching there have been points in my life where i had been tempted to be sucked into some incorrect teaching i could give you specific points in time that there was a strong lure to yield to some incorrect teaching And what brought me back time and time again was this is not about Dan Brubaker. This is not about Roaring Brook. This is about Jesus Christ and the glory of God. I'm his servant, I'm accountable for correct teaching. That servanthood brings us back time and time again. So just asking are you a bond? Slave of Jesus Christ. Are you a called one? Have you come to faith in Christ? Have you trusted Christ? Can you call God your father? If not, why not come to him? If you are a believer in Christ, you're loved, you're sanctified. Down through the pages of my own life, There have been some people that God has brought into my life that have been through some very, very deep trials. And I've said to some of them, I want you to know that I love you. I accept you, period. You can't do anything to make me love you less. You can't do anything to make me love you more. That makes a difference in how someone responds do we realize that we're called and loved by God the Father? That's freeing in the midst of incorrect teaching. Who in your life can you say will love me no matter what. God is one of them. Sometimes people say there's no one. God says you're called, you're loved. Then another application, if you're a believer in Christ, you're kept or you're preserved by God. I love that. False teaching coming down the pipe. It's abundant. He writes very strongly about these false teachers. And he says, I just want you to know you're kept by Jesus Christ. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent upon Christ and what he has already done. Talking to someone in my family at one point in time. And we were debating the security of the believer. And I grew up in a setting where... You didn't know if you could be secure or not. And I was arguing very strongly for you're kept by Jesus Christ. It's not dependent upon you. And someone in my family says, well, you know what the Bible says? In John 10, it talks about the fact that you're in, Jesus talks about being in your father's hand. But you can jump out. That's not in scripture, by the way. Do you ever stop to consider that God has his hand over that? You're kept by Jesus Christ. So at the beginning of Jude, in the midst of apostasy, he says, you're loved, you're called, you're secure, you're kept. Mercy, peace, and love. And at the end of the book, he re- or again reaffirms that you're kept by God. We need to hear that in the midst of false teaching. As we think about the love of God, let's take our hymnals and turn to hymn 305, singing together, verse 1 only. Hymn 305, singing together, verse 1 only. As we think about the message of Jude, incorrect teaching, false teaching, we're loved by God, we're secure, we're kept by Jesus Christ. Verse 1 only of 305.